Hi, are you a gifted or twice exceptional adult who feels a bit stuck in your journey? Do you have goals and dreams which you would love to achieve, but you don't know where to start or feel a little bit overwhelmed? Or maybe you have a thousand ideas, 500 projects, and get distracted by your own thoughts and would love some support on focus and accountability? Whatever gets you stuck, I wholeheartedly believe that gifted and twice exceptional specific coaching will help you unleash your power so that you can be your most authentic gifted self. I recently embarked on my journey on becoming a gifted and twice exceptional coach. So if you are interested in working with me one-on-one, please reach out via email at hello at giftedunleashed.com or you can find more information about my coaching offers on the website giftedunleashed.com forward slash coaching. I would love working with you and I would love to get you unstuck. So please reach out and let's get started. Hello and welcome to Unleash Monday, where we talk about the brain, especially the gifted brain, and how does it affect our thinking and experience of the world differently. There are a lot of stereotypes and stigma around giftedness, and I'm here to challenge those. I'm here to raise awareness and to have a conversation around this topic of what does it mean to be a gifted adult. Common experience among gifted folks is that they feel out of place. They don't quite fit in. They are too sensitive, too intense, too emotional, too overexcitable, and too deep thinkers about the world and about themselves. So if you have been called too much of about anything, then this show is for you. My name is Nadia. I'm too loud, too colorful, too bubbly, too bossy, and I love to talk too much. So welcome to my world, and I'm so happy you are here. Hi, happy Monday. I'm so excited you are here. Today we have a very, very special guest. And if you have been listening to Unleash Monday for a bit, I'm sure you came across the term of overexcitability and Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegrations. So today we have Chris Wells on the show. And we're going to talk about all things Dabrowski and overexcitabilities. And also we talk about Chris's story, which actually just editing this episode, re-listening to this conversation, it brought me into tears. And you will hear the story. And if you, somebody that has experienced overexcitabilities, then you will be able to relate. And Chris is the person to learn all things overexcitabilities and the Dabrowski theories from you can listen for yourself and if you're interested in learning more about what it means to be a twice exceptional adult then last time I talked to Julie Skolnick and Julie has her conference coming up it's the first ever conference for twice exceptional adults and for the first 24 hours all the content is completely free It's on the 1st of November, 2021. And if you missed that date when you listen to the replay, then you can find a affiliate link on my website where you can purchase the access of all the recordings. So you will see a lot of incredible speakers. I'm one of them, but there's a whole lot of really incredible speakers that I'm a little bit starstruck (laughs) being amongst all of them. So yeah, but I just wanted to mention this quickly now so you don't 
missed that opportunity. But now let's dive into this week's episode because Chris has so much to share and I'm sure you're going to love this conversation. And without further ado, here's Chris. Welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's it's been an honor and it's so beautiful. All these you know, relationships that are formed and people referring me. And it was actually Tracy Winter who introduced us. And she said, oh, I have Chris in my network. She might be a great candidate for your podcast. And you have such an interesting, incredible story. And I hope we can untangle it and make it really accessible for the listeners. So you are a gifted person to E. I think, right? Is that correct? And you also are doing research in this space of the giftedness. So why don't we start with your own story and then go into your research? When and how did you learn that you're gifted? And I think that's different from the time point when you realized giftedness means so much more than just being smart. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, my gifted story does go back to childhood. I was a very precocious child. I was identified as gifted when I was in elementary school. And I was, I mean, I was identified as like highly or profoundly gifted as a child. And so I felt not only different internally, but I was sort of set apart by the adults in my life at school as very different. And I was sort of made to feel by teachers, especially, that I should know that I was an extreme outlier and that I should change the world someday with my gifts. I mean, there was this incredible burden around my giftedness. High expectations on the side of everybody else around you. Very high expectations. Yeah. And I found that very difficult to deal with because I have so much emotional intensity. I was a very intense kid. And so even though I seemed very gifted intellectually, the problem for me was that I was so emotional and so intense that it's, it often felt like it negated my intellectual gifts because what good was it to be so gifted or intelligent if I couldn't control myself. And I couldn't. I've struggled mightily for years to, to control my emotions, to not be very angry. And so that was the, the major challenge for me when I was young, was that I had these strong overexcitabilities, which I did not have the language for at the time. And especially around emotional and imaginational areas. One aspect of my gifted story is that I have very strong imaginational overexcitability. And when I was a kid, I had sort of a dream process that ran parallel to my everyday reality. And I took all of this to mean that there was something very wrong with me from an early age. And so even though I had the people in my life telling me, oh, you're so smart, you can do anything you know, like that I should just shoot for the stars, that I knew that there was something very wrong with me. And so 
that was my struggle. So you then went through the school system and struggled with mental health, right? Is that how you define it? Or how was it at the time defined? Or were you labeled or diagnosed and misdiagnosed until? Well, actually, it's, yeah, I, I made it out of high school before I was diagnosed really with anything seriously. And it's been very it's been complicated in adulthood to tease out what was really going on with me when I was young, but I do have a lot of data to support me. I started writing a journal when I was 16 and I have a lot of my records and I've like, as an adult, when I was a doctoral student, I went back and I did an autoethnography, like while I was in the middle of my dissertation, because I needed to figure out what happened to my life. And It was also a process of figuring out what happened, what was happening with my son, who's twice exceptional. And so that was really the catalyst for me going back and figuring out my own story, which is, it's, it's very hard. To, it's so hard to articulate it all. But, um, well, here, let me say this. So when I was in high school, well, it started before high school, but by the time I was in high school, I had become a, a drug addict in my mind. So it's hard to explain, but I had this alternate reality in my head that was running parallel to my everyday reality. And now I understand that because I am highly or profoundly gifted, whatever you want to call it, that I have the processing power to make this possible where I am living in two realities at the same time. And I don't live that way anymore, but only because I've made the choice to sort of integrate those realities. And now I am in everyday reality and I am satisfied with it. But until I was in my forties, that's not how it went for me. And so because I was living like that as a teenager, it was very hard for me to sometimes keep clear what was real and what was in my head. And so at the end of high school, I ended up going to drug treatment and Even though I did some drugs in my day-to-day -day life, I didn't, I was just mainly smoking pot. It wasn't enough to be an addict, but in my head, I had been an addict for years. So I went through the whole process of recovery and I wrote a book at the end of high school about my recovery from addiction and it got published. And so when I was 20, I had this book come out about my life as an addict, but then all the people in my life, it it really injured a lot of my relationships. It's a long story, but it was, it was very difficult to have that happen and to face suddenly when I was 20, that I had written this book that told this story that wasn't truly fact. You know, it wasn't what exactly had happened. A lot of it had happened in my mind. And so the only explanation I had for that at the time was that I was mentally ill and I was having a lot of mood swings because I was going through some tough times in my life. You know, my parents were going through some traumatic stuff. And so I went to the psychiatrist at my college and I told them that there was something wrong with me. And anyway, long story short, you know, I ended up with the diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And so that's how my journey into the mental health system began 
And now when I look back at my journals, I can see that I was not, I did not have bipolar disorder. It's very clear in my writing. Well, but that's not how, I mean, when I went in and explained how I was feeling and my emotional intensity and the things that had happened, I mean, they were working from the DSM and the word gifted never came into play. And that's because, well, doctors, therapists, they, they don't think from the frame of gifted unless they work specifically in this field. And so this is something that I've seen throughout my life. And it highlights, again, this really the need that if you are gifted, if you've been, you know, identified gifted as a child, if you have a suspicion that you are gifted... Well, once you're gifted, always gifted, right? It's not something that goes away. But uh, I also talk to a lot of people, especially here in Europe, and I think mostly outside of the U.S. In you know, in our age bracket, the kids were never identified. So I don't know anybody in my surrounding that was identified as a kid. So. Now, if you do have the suspicion as an adult that you might be gifted, it's very important to seek out a therapist if you work with a therapist or if you want to work with a coach that you look into somebody that understands giftedness. Because even if they're professional, even if they're a therapist, giftedness plays such a big role in the whole process. So do you want to share a little bit more of like then how how you connected the dots, like how were you able, was that like by chance or? (laughs) Well, it's, you know, and even before that, I would like to just say that even though I was identified as gifted and I was in gifted programming and that language was used with me into high school and see, then I ended up going to a private high school. And so once I wasn't in a gifted program, I stopped thinking of that word really as applying to me because I just saw it as an educational label. It didn't occur to me that there was any kind of meaningful difference for me based on giftedness. For me, it was purely related to academics. And so none of my gifted teachers or guidance counselors, these people, unfortunately, even though they worked with gifted children, they weren't educated about what it means to be gifted. They weren't necessarily gifted themselves. And so there was a lot missing there. Nobody ever talked with me about what it meant to be gifted. And of course, because, I mean, I would say that both of my parents, you know, were very bright. My mom is clearly gifted. I would say my mom's side of the family is like the gifted side. Well, I mean, she wasn't identified as a kid. She didn't have that language either. And so all of that was missing. And so by the time I became an adult, that word just was out of my vocabulary. It was something like in the past, like, well, yeah, I mean, I was a gifted kid, but who cares? Like it didn't amount to anything. I had all of that gifted baggage, you know, and that's when I meet with clients, we talk a lot about the gifted trauma that we go through not being seen. I mean, you mentioned that Tracy Winter is the one who, introduced us. And yeah, the fact that Tracy did her dissertation on being seen is such a contribution to our field. This is something that really matters. 
But when you're not seen, even when you're identified as gifted, if you're not seen for the rest of your life after you've been a gifted child, then you are continuing to feel out of sync and like you are just not a part of the world in the way that you need to be. And that's why what you're doing here with this podcast is so important and helping people understand that, that there is a community, that we do have a gifted community and we welcome people who, who need us. And we, we know, we know that, that this is of critical importance. So for me, I didn't connect the dots until I was in my forties and it happened because of my son. But I guess I have to say that before that point, I mean, I spent years of my life in and out of mental health treatment, in and out of the hospital, all based on that initial bipolar disorder diagnosis when I was 19. And over the years, I just became angrier and sort of completely dysfunctional. And actually what happened is in my early twenties, I just completely broke down and I went through what I now would call an intense period of positive disintegration, you know, but I didn't have the language of positive disintegration when I was a kid. All I had was the DSM and psychiatry and medication. And let me tell you that I have taken like 30 different medications in my life. And I've been hospitalized many times when I was young. I went through all of that. And I was also diagnosed with ADHD, with many things. I've had so many labels, personality disorders, you name it, panic disorder, all sorts of, I mean, just many disorders. And so I was very sure that I was mentally ill. I identified as disabled for years of my life. And so I got my master's degree in social work. And then I pursued a PhD in psychology. And it was while I was working on my PhD, we realized that my son was twice exceptional, or we suspected he was. First, it was clear that he had a learning disability, like that he's dyslexic. He was diagnosed with ADHD. And then we started to realize that it wasn't just that, that he was a, such a smart kid, but it wasn't manifesting in the classroom. But people started saying to me, even I remember his first grade teacher was like, well, you're clearly a gifted person. And so it's we think that there's probably more going on with him than meets the eye. And it just, that was the beginning. Like that was enough for me to start investigating. And so I started reading in the gifted literature and that's when all the pieces started falling into place for me. But it wasn't until one specific document that I remember so clearly, and I've talked about this many times, but there was one chapter that I downloaded by Michael Pihofsky And it was from 1997, and it was called Emotional Giftedness, The Measure of Intrapersonal Intelligence. And when I read that, it just completely stopped me in my tracks, and I had had to just put it down. And for months, when I read what he said about Dabrowski, about overexcitabilities, about positive disintegration. I mean, I can't even tell you how 
I, it just, it started to creep into my awareness that I had really misunderstood myself. And I started to see that I had been misunderstood, that I didn't even know who I was and that I was going to have to rethink everything. And it was very daunting. It was, I mean, it was extremely daunting and I resisted it at first and I kept investigating in the gifted literature and I kept like trying to ignore Michael and his work. And I was like, you know, I'll just search for everything around him, but you can't search for like emotional intensity or overexcitability without coming back to Michael again and again. And so, or Dabrowski. And so that was, that was the introduction. And it was during that time I was doing an autoethnography. And so I was trying to study my life as a researcher and I was going back to people who had known me when I was a teenager and interviewing them. And one man, a teacher from high school, I asked him like, what was I like? You know? And he was like, you were intense. And he would say like, and I remember him telling me, you know, on a scale of one to 10 of intensity, you were a 10. He's like, and other kids weren't. And that's what I kept hearing from these people when I interviewed them. They were like, you were different. Other kids, even other really smart kids, not like you, you know? And so I started to realize that it wasn't because I was mentally ill, that I was so different, that it did have to do with giftedness and that this was a part of me that I had never cherished and I had never seen as a blessing at all. And it wasn't until Michael's work and Dabrowski and Linda Silverman, you know, there are a, a lot of people I can think of whose work, uh, Mirica Gross, her book, Exceptionally Gifted Children, made me cry. I realized that when you are an extreme outlier, that being in regular school is like torture for you to be in that lockstep progression. And so, yeah, it just, there was this whole journey involved in getting to where I am now in 2021. It's, it's true. Wow. And I only learned about my kind of difference a year ago, and I'm not on that extreme end. Like Paula Prover said, I, I would define myself as barely gifted. So I'm really like in between. And I see myself also maybe able to translate more between the neuro typicals or like you know the 100 to the really outliers and when you're such an outlier to find peers or somebody that like mirrors you it's like you never even had the chance I guess in this school system right so must have been very lonely and going through this and and reading all of this like you say you cried when you read this one work, but I guess that it must have been a very emotional kind of, why hasn't anybody told me this? Like I've been in and out of the hospital for years and finally answers and there's nothing wrong with me or not as much as I imagined, <laughs> right? Like, oh my God. And just, you had this identification as a child, like you were identified but I also have listeners, you know, they, they read the books and suddenly they can relate. And they were like, it's an emotional 
roller coaster, but because they've never been identified as a child. And as you said, before we started recording, like finally you found, you know, community and like-minded people. So they, they're now scared that like saying you're gifted, even though they don't, they're not good at maths. They were never at university maybe, you know, and Mm -hmm. then they, they relate and it's emotional. And then they're like, but now I need an IQ test. And oh, what if I don't pass? And then they're so scared. And then they're like, they're also afraid that somebody's going to take this away from them, that they're actually, they're not part of this community. Do you have something to say about that? Like, I do. Can people embrace it? And what about an IQ test and (laughs) all of that? Well, I do have thoughts about that because now, now I'm working as a therapist and as a consultant and also as a mentor for gifted adults. And when people come to me, they don't all necessarily have high IQs, but there are so many ways that you can be gifted outside of the stereotypes. Like we really need to get rid of the stereotypes. And honestly, this is how I approach it when I talk with clients or with whomever, is that this is where Dabrowski's theory gives us such a gift in understanding giftedness beyond academic achievement. And this is why, for example, Michael Pihovsky's work is such a gift to us because we can look at what Dabrowski called multi-levelness as a kind of giftedness that is completely outside of the educational realm or the academic achievement realm. It's a way of, I mean, it's a way of perceiving reality and living in reality that is is a type of giftedness itself. And overexcitabilities are the foundation to a multi-level perception of reality. And it's really tough to describe exactly what he meant now. But basically, when Dabrowski looked at two major kinds of developmental process, unilevel and multi-level. And unilevel fits most people in the world. That would be maybe the statistical norm as we see it, where things are more black and white. There's dualism or relativism. And that's fine. Like, I think a big part of the gifted problem is this idea of like, being superior or inferior. And, you know, it's hard to get away from that, even when using the Dabrowskian language, because people who see themselves as unilevel probably do feel inferior, even though that's obviously not what he meant or how it should be. But there are some of us who have these strong overexcitabilities with or without the extreme cognitive abilities that you could measure with IQ or whatever kind of testing. And if you have this perception of reality, your experience of the world is different than somebody who's unilevel. And that's just the way it is. Like, it's not better or worse. It just is. And frankly, it can be a huge burden because those of us who do see the world in many levels and many, you know, we have like, we're so tied to our values and everything that we're examining and I mean, Dabrowski, so much of his work is based in values. 
these are areas where the gifted world hasn't adequately explored his work and found answers in the ways that could help us. But this is where my work is going. And this is where I am excited to be on. (laughs) I'm excited to be here with you today and even talking about this, because I think that there are so many aspects of Dabrowski's theory that will shed light into the gifted experience that haven't been explored yet and haven't been discussed enough because there's been too much emphasis on overexcitability. Well, there's so much more to this theory. And I think that this, like, and so this is what I do with my clients. I give them excerpts from Dabrowski. I'll point them to Michael's work and I'll frame it in this other way where it's not about what you did in school. It's not about your grades. It's not about test scores. It's about who you are and your experience living in the world. And so if we are having these deep, complex conversations, how can you keep arguing with me that you're not gifted? If you see me as gifted and we are having this discussion, doesn't that say something about you? And so I do feel like a big part of my work is just to be a mirror for the gifted and to help people see that there's so much more to this than they realized. And it's unfortunate that so much of the gifted work lives in the field of gifted education. I mean, obviously, gifted education is about children. They have basically forsaken the gifted adult because that's not what, that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on children. And so we don't have a field for gifted adults. Unfortunately, even though there are decades of work on gifted adults, we still don't have an area in the academic world that's ours outside of education. Well, it needs to be in psychology, not in education. And so these are just some of the, I mean, the problems that we face when it comes to legitimizing the the experience of gifted adults. Maggie Brown, I feel like I have to mention her name. She is someone who is really trying to legitimize research for gifted adults and trying to create some standardization. This is what we're talking about. This is what it means. And so there's a lot of work being done by a lot of people. We do have a community. And, well, I won't go on forever. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I, I love everything that you're saying and basically saying your clients that come to you, they don't need an IQ test. They just need to come and share their experience of the world. And you can, you know, mirror and see a gifted experience. And I think I saw that I read your article and you did the concluding thoughts was really like, yeah, the individuals who does not understand what it means to be gifted is lacking the foundation for an authentic expression, right? And that it's basically that by not helping give the people understanding what it means, the inner experience of giftedness is not just misguided, but it also causes this harm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what you're now doing with all the work you do and your research. So, yeah, I mean, wow. <laughs> Can, can you say a little bit about your research then? Or Sure. Well, and I would love to. Um, so even though it was really hard for me when I first discovered Michael Puchowski's work, just because when I read his words, 
And it just was so obvious to me that I had misunderstood myself. I just, I was afraid. Like I was afraid of what he was saying. It was going to force me to rethink everything. And I, that was daunting, but it was, I knew that that's what had to happen. So, well, it was like a step-by-step. It's hard to, there's so much, like there was a lot of relationship building at first for me because when I discovered the gifted community that it existed, then I was like, okay, well, cool. I, um, yes, I would like to be a part of your community. And so I started, so I started going to conferences, you know, I went to Sang, supporting the emotional needs of the gifted. I met Linda Silverman. I met Jen Merrill. I, you know, these are people whose I had read their work and it was exciting to finally meet them in person. Then I went to Confertute at the University of Connecticut. I met Joe Renzulli. I, well, I met a bunch of people. I met Susan Baum. I talked with these people. Well, I told them, this is my story. I don't know what to do now. I'm trying to figure it out. And so these people, bless their hearts, they were so patient with me and they would listen. I would tell them, well, I have this history of mental illness, but I know I'm also gifted. And it was funny because repeatedly I heard, you need to read about overexcitabilities. You need to talk to Linda Silverman. That's where you'll find answers. So I went back to Linda Silverman. We met in the office at the Gifted Development Center here in Colorado. And she said, you need to study Dabrowski's theory. That should be your emphasis. You should go to the Dabrowski Congress. This is where you're going to find your people, even more than saying or anywhere it's in Dabrowski's work that you're going to recognize yourself. And so, okay. So I really took that to heart. Yeah. And so then I just started reading everything I could about Dabrowski's theory. And I kept again, like reading Michael's work. And so the paper you mentioned, this is paper I wrote on the inner experience of giftedness. And so the first version of it was very different than the final one. So I submitted it to advanced development journal And Michael Pihovsky is the one who wrote to me with editorial feedback. And I mean, I had like a little heart attack here when I got an email from him and I was like, oh my God, like why? And I just, I wrote to Nancy Miller, the editor, and I said, you know, I don't feel like I can, I can't deal with this guy, Michael. Like it's, it just felt too intense for me. Like he was too intimidating. You know, he has two PhDs he's like the Dabrowski person. I'm like, no, I mean, I need somebody easier to deal with. And she said, no, I feel like Michael is the person who can guide you working on this paper and he's the best option. So just work with him. And so that's how I met Michael. And we started emailing with each other and he was, what's the word? He just, I don't know. He was like, I felt like he was challenging me from the start. Because I would say, well, I have ADHD. And he would write back and be like, do you? Well, I don't, you know, I don't see that in your story. And so then I felt like I had to justify myself to him. And so it just, it felt like the challenge was there from the start. But then I read, I had to read all of his work. So I I did. So I read all of his work and everything I could get my hands on. And I kept writing to him. And so we kept writing to each other. And that was, it really started in summer of 2016. Well, now, I mean, Michael is, he's such an important part of my life. He became my mentor, my friend. 
We have a chapter together this summer, the Handbook for Counselors Serving Students with Gifts and Talents by Cross and Cross. And so building a relationship with Michael has been a huge part of my process. And as much as his work has felt like a gift to me, his place in my life has also been such a gift. And now I I work with the Gifted Development Center and I work with Linda Silverman and I'm the director of qualitative research at her at the Institute for the Study of Advanced Development, which is her organization. And Frank Falk is also a mentor to me. And all of these people from the gifted community welcomed me with open arms. They gave me this opportunity to do research. And so I do study Dabrowski's theory. I've studied it very deeply. I have been learning Polish for the past like four years. Michael has been teaching me how to do translation work. We've been working together on, well, he's done the work. Like, you know, I, he just shows me what he's translated and helps me understand like his thought process, but he has been translating this book from 1935, the first book that Dabrowski wrote about overexcitability and it's in Polish and the insights that I have gotten into that original work, thanks to Michael's translation work over the past few years has been incredible. And so for me, building these relationships and, and these opportunities to be mentored by Michael and Frank and Bill Tillier, it's been, it's been amazing. It's it's all a part of my story at this point. Wow. <laughs> I, I can just, I can just like, you know, when you have somebody do you look up to and that's, you know, the editor, the one from the journal that writes back to you, I can just like, whew, yeah, wow. <laughs> Kudos <laughs> to you that you, <laughs> you keep going and now he's your mentor. Wow. Can I ask you a more of a, challenging question of more like you know the naysayers and the haters that say well the Browski it's not quantitative data <laughs> and like <laughs> like in science we say you cannot reproduce the results and so I heard those kinds of critics what do you say to them oh I'm so glad that you brought this up oh yes <laughs> so yeah, there right there, there have been many criticisms of the overexcitability research, and I think that's been really helpful to me to see these criticisms because when I came to the theory, I was reading both sides of it. I was seeing, I was seeing myself in Michael's work, of course, and in Dabrowski's work, and feeling so validated. But, of course, it was very unsettling to see all of these criticisms. And so in order for me to wrap my head around it all, I had to, I mean, I had to read all of the overexcitability research, and I had to read all of what Dabrowski wrote in English. And, and I just had to, like, take it all in and inhale it and absorb it. And so that's what I did. And when I did it really showed me that, well, for one thing, there are a lot of flaws in the overexcitability research and the instruments are not perfect by any means. I mean, we do need better instruments and we do need more research. There's a lot 
that we don't know about overexcitability. No one has explored it in typically developing individuals. No one has explored it at the other end of the spectrum of IQ. Well, there's a lot we need to know. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But does that mean that it's all trash and we should throw it away and that no insights can be gleaned from it? No. I mean, that's not true either. And so I think it's problematic that so many graduate students do research that doesn't get published for one thing. I mean, I've seen, well, there's probably 200 dissertations and theses that have been done on overexcitability and only a fraction of them end up, or not even just overexcitability, but also just testing different applications of the theory, or even if you've just included it in your dissertation about giftedness, there's a lot of work that never gets published. And so a lot of the enthusiasm of graduate students never makes it into published work, or they don't continue that line of work once they well, sometimes they don't even get a job. I mean, you know how the academic world is, I mean, it's not an easy path. It's not clear cut. And there's not, like overexcitability doesn't lend itself to grant money or funding or, you know, there's just, there are a lot of reasons why this work hasn't been developed like it could have been in the gifted field. And so that's one problem. But There are two papers in particular that have caused real division in overexcitability and gifted ed. And they're from Vuik, Kreshock, and Kerr. And Vuik, Kerr, and Kreshock from 20... I I apologize if I'm not saying these names perfectly. but And they're both from 2016. And they said in their articles that overexcitability and openness to experience are the same thing. And that we should stop talking about overexcitability in the gifted field because it's really openness to experience. And so those two papers, I mean, it's interesting to me how so many people in the field of gifted ed were like, oh, well, this must be true. And they just were like, well, let's stop talking about overexcitability then. Uh, Yeah, I guess Dabrowski's theory has no relevance for the gifted. Well, it's that kind of black and white kind of dualistic thinking that is problematic in its own right. I mean, obviously, overexcitabilities have a tremendous amount of relevance in the gifted. Just listening to your other podcast episodes tells me how much it means to people when they discover this construct as adults and they recognize themselves in a new way. Maybe openness to experience causes that same feeling, and maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I can tell you that even though there are strong similarities between overexcitability and openness to experience, they're not the same. And we need to, instead of saying, well, let's just throw out overexcitability, we need to say, oh, well, we should explore these insights between overexcitability and the five-factor model and openness to experience. Like, it, it just, the way that those papers were received in this field And the way that everybody was ready to just give up on decades of work and understanding, to me, is a real indictment in the field of gifted education and shows us that, yeah, we have a lot of work to do. Oh, thank you. I I love this answer. And I'm so happy I asked the question because I'm a scientist by training. I love data. And I got into this giftedness 
kind of sphere and I Googled and I was like, is this scientific or is it kind of like, did somebody just come up with something? But then as you say, like, I can't relate. And finally somebody like describes me so accurately and it's such an emotional, like it really like hit home so deep that for a weekend I was just crying because it was all the emotions. It wasn't just sadness. It was, it was a lot of things and that a book can do that like hitting home so deep, right? There must be something to it. And then I talked to my friends and the emotional roller coaster has been experienced, you know, amongst all of them. And so when you said, well, there was the research, there was that. And then what I had to do was go and translate all of the Dabrowski's work. <laughs> that was my initial idea of like, oh my God, do I need to go and study it all? But thank you, Chris, you're doing that, <laughs> what I wanted to do myself. So I don't need to do it. So thank you for doing the thing I actually thought first. Now that's what I got to do. So I think great mind think alike. <laughs> so yeah, that was my initial thing. I was like, I need to go and do a PhD in psychology and study this before I can even talk about this publicly on a podcast, you know, as a scientist with something that really, as you say, lacking data, but then with the qualitative data, what you say is like, you know, the experience of so many people saying it resonates, it resonates. And that's not something you can deny, even if you don't have the quality, the quantitative data yet to support it. But having so many people having this experience and yeah, as you said, there are people having expressing overexcitabilities without being gifted, but there is uh, overlap and there's people that are gifted that don't express overexcitabilities. That's right. And actually, that's something that has really come out of my work with Michael over the past few years is that the next place to explore, in my opinion, is to look at overexcitability in people of all ages who are autistic or who have ADHD. Like these are areas that it's very clear to me that Dabrowski was talking about these things in his Polish work that is only now come to light in English thanks to Michael and his translation efforts. And so there's so much to explore hmm. in, yeah, in neurodivergent individuals. Like this is the future, to my mind, of overexcitability, just as much as in the gifted. And of course, the overlaps in the twice exceptional, there, there's no research uh, exploring overexcitability in the twice exceptional. Like, how can that be? It doesn't make sense to me. And like, for me, I mean, I have my PhD, but I didn't go into the academic world. I have chosen to focus on this tiny area of Dabrowski's theory in the gifted. And so there's no academic appointment for me where I can go and work at a university. And so I don't have the resources to do the research that needs to be done, but I have the knowledge about Dabrowski's theory. And I can tell you that I spend a tremendous amount of time talking to graduate students and talking to people in the field who need answers and want to know more and where can they find this article and did Dabrowski ever say this? And, you know, and so I'm constantly answering questions and trying to be helpful, but I mean, I do wish that I could do my own 
larger scale research on this stuff. On the other hand, when it comes to the things that I'm most interested in, I just don't know that the statistical, like the numbers are never going to be there maybe to provide the quantitative insights that academics wish could happen in these areas. I, I just think that there's not enough respect for qualitative research. There's not enough respect for the inner experience of giftedness, which matters whether you can put a number on it or not. It still matters. Wow. Thank you. And also thank you for yeah sharing and, and doing this basically very needed work outside of academia because it, it's so needed that we, we do get these resources. So first of all, a big thank you. And I hope you're going to share your links and resources. And I can also put in the show notes everything that we can share to the listeners so they can also read up more on Dabrowski and Michael Pichowski. I see time is running out. We've been talking almost an hour. <laughs> so if people want to learn more about you, your services. I do counseling, consulting, and mentoring for the gifted. So where can people find you? You can go to my website, which is www.christianwells.com. I'm also on Twitter. And I'm not on social media much, honestly, but I am on Facebook. I am an admin with Bill Tillier and Amanda Harper on the Dabrowski International Group on Facebook. I also am a co-admin in, uh, for a Facebook group for parents of gifted and twice exceptional kids. And people can find me there as well. Parents, it's extremely important to have a good community of other parents when you're when you have a gifter, twice exceptional kid. And so please join us. We have a great group with like 7,000 members. So it's enormous. We spend a lot of our time moderating it and making sure it's a safe place. Wow. Thank you. Before we go, is there anything you wish people know? Is there anything else you want to share? Or is there anything you wish you knew earlier? I wish that people... I thought about this question and it's, it's a tough one because I feel almost overwhelmed by how much I wish people knew. I wish that people realized that there is a meaningful psychological difference to being gifted. And the fact that empirical research hasn't proven that doesn't make it any less valid for those of us who live with this difference. And I wish that the academics in the field of gifted education would stop trying to erase our experience by saying that this isn't true because it is true. There is a tremendous amount of work out there in the world that does support this if you only are willing to open your eyes and read it. And so I think that that is the most important thing. And hand in hand with that, is the fact that professionals and teachers aren't given nearly enough training or any training about the gifted and what it means to be gifted. And so these are the things that I wish there was much more about. Thank you. And 
It resonates. I have goosebumps and I'm almost <laughs> crying because yes, this is exactly why I'm doing this podcast, right? To create awareness and really like shouting it out into the world, like, listen. <laughs> and That's especially right. the one, as you say, like there's people at the beginning resisting because once you learn you're gifted and that might be a reason for your experience of the world, you have to do the work, right? You have to look at your life. And even if you have gone through therapy, if you have got coaching, if you have done some of the things, once you see your life through the gifted lens, it's a completely different experience. It's empowering, but it is a little bit of a rocky thing and unsettling. And as you say, like the Browski, it's a positive disintegration, <laughs> but it gets you moving forward. And that that's why we're here. That's right. And actually, you just reminded me, there's one thing that I want to make sure I mention, and that is that I have a positive disintegration study group that meets once a month. And we try not to make it too big. And so I'm almost reluctant to say this, but if there's anybody listening who has a burning desire to talk with me and my group once a month for 90 minutes about Dabrowski's theory, then write to me, send me an email and ask. We also have a Facebook group to go along with it. That's just us. You know, there are fewer than 20 members right now. And so I just want to throw it out there. If you want to know more about Dabrowski's theory with me, that's the best place to do it. Wow. Thank you for being so generous and offering this resource. And thank you so much, Chris. And I hope we're going to stay in touch. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nadia. I hope we stay in touch too. And I want to just thank you for, for creating this podcast and doing this work. It's hugely important. And I am very grateful. Thank you. So have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Wasn't that an incredible conversation. And I hope you got a lot of your question answered, but probably you also have a ton more. And I'm going to link all of the links into the show notes and on the website. So you can just click and access all of these amazing resources. And I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. And if you want to support the show again, like every week, I ask you to go and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow and then you can rate the podcast and you can also leave a written review. And if you leave a written review, like and subscribe, that will show the algorithm that you really like this podcast and then will show the podcast to other people. So the more people subscribe, like and leave a written review, it will show it to other people who might need this content. So that's my ask of you. Thank you so much for doing and thank you so much for the people who already have left a written review. They mean a lot. Like I read them and I I understand it's such an emotional topic and it goes really deep and it touches people's lives. I'm not doing this for a popularity contest with this topic. It's such a niche topic, but I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. And I hope I see you in two weeks and maybe even during the conference on the 1st of November. Have a wonderful time. Bye. <laughs>